Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Well, uh, this morning we have a very special privilege and uh, uh, I'm thrilled that uh, we get to hear from my good friend and brother, uh, Omar Rodriguez. And uh, this is a very fitting um, I guess, opportunity for Omar to be, he, uh, he is our first guest speaker on a Sunday morning for The Well. So uh, that's great. And uh, yes, and please applaud again when he comes up. But uh, yeah, brother, I got to share this a uh, couple of things about uh, Omar here. Uh, when I came into the EFCA, the, our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, uh, this is about like seven years ago. And uh, there, you know, the EFCA kind of just threw out a uh, thing, uh, you know, please welcome David. But uh, Omar here was the first one to reach out to me, uh, welcome me into the denomination. And uh, since then, we had lunch and uh, just got to know his heart and uh, just really appreciate this brother very much. But the second story uh, is that when we started this church, um, I got a phone call from, well, I was talking with someone, and they said, hey, do you need church equipment for your church? I wasn't even looking, right? And uh, I go, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll, uh, you, you know, we'll take it. You know, we're, we're going to start a church, and so we'll take your equipment. And, what, and uh, as it turns out, uh, the equipment uh, was being donated by the church that um, Brother Omar had planted, that he had started. Um, you know, they had a good run as a church plant uh, for, is it, uh, how, how many years was that now? 14 years. They had a great run, and the Lord used them uh, in really special, powerful ways in Fullerton. But the fact that it was from their church that we got this equipment, you know, to help start our church was so much more meaningful. And I just saw the Lord's hand behind that, uh, through a friendship, a brotherhood uh, with Omar, and you, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. I mean, the, the, the coincidence, so to speak, behind this. And so uh, really just thankful uh, for how the Lord has used you, Omar, into my life personally, and how the Lord has used you uh, and your ministry to bless us as the well SUV, as a church. So um, we're so just joy for you to be here, and his wife, Rebecca, as well, and they're both uh, joining us here at the well. So let's give Omar, Rebecca, a warm welcome. Yeah. We've been praying for you guys. Uh, David had shared uh, several years back about his desire and his interest to launch a church plant, and so it's a joy to see it uh, become a reality through the grace of God, and uh, we're just overjoyed to be able to to share uh, this morning from the Word of God. Um, I'd like to invite you to open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 22. And so much of the service is really already set up what the sermon is all about. Um, there would be no Ephesians chapter 2 if uh, the prophecy of Isaiah 9 had not been fulfilled, right? Um, it was just read to us, but I'll read it again just as a reminder. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That prophecy is affirmed also in Luke when um, the heavenly hosts of angels declare after Jesus has been born in Luke 2, verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So we have a prophecy going back about 2,700 years ago, fulfilled a little bit over 2,000 years ago. And here we are today, enjoying as children of God the blessings of the peace that the ultimate peacemaker has brought to us. And the question this morning is, so what? I don't mean that disrespectfully or half-heartedly. It's like, what does that have to do with us today? What does that mean for the well today? What does it mean for each one of us individually today? And so we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, till the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in him from the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. A couple of years after we started that church plant in Fullerton, uh, we had um, a very sad event that happened in our community. Uh, one of the ladies who had come to know the Lord through our ministry uh, of the church um, 
had several children, two of which were uh, involved in gangs. On the very same day that um, we were moving into our new house, or um, had left our old house, I received a call from, one of, from her daughter telling me, um, Omar, um, they shot Jesse. He's been taken to uh, St. Jude Hospital in Fullerton. And as I rushed over to the hospital, um, seeing uh, Lorena was uh, the sister's name, uh, crying and weeping and unaware of what the severity of the uh, injuries were to her son, uh, I was just praying for God to do a miracle. And my heart sank when the nurse uh, said, uh, Lorena, Mrs. Rodriguez, and would you please come in and your family and, and those that you want to be waiting for your son. The doctor would like to speak to you. And having worked in a hospital, I pretty much knew what that meant. We were ushered into a room. The doctor and nurse came in. They said, Mrs. Rodriguez, um, we did everything we could. Your son has died. And of course, at that news, uh, Lorena did what every mother does in those situations. She let out a wail. She cried out with the top of her lungs, why? And she turned to me and she said, why, Omar? Why? I'm getting my life in order. I'm following Jesus. Why? 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 And as those next days unfolded, uh, God's grace and power and might really became manifested in her life. And throughout uh, these, uh, you know, 13 years that we have continued to walk with her through that journey, that incredible grief still remains. Now in gangs, it's a very simple world to some degree, even if it seems very convoluted to us. It's a very simple rules. Blood in, blood out. You take blood, we take yours. That's the law of the land. And for Lorena, who was very familiar with that world, she knew what that meant for the young man who had perpetrated this crime against her son. But she had two things going against her. One was that the other rule of the gangs is that you don't tell the cops anything. So justice was not going to be found according to the law of the land. So what was she to do? What is a mother who is grieving the loss of her son to do when she knows that justice will never be hers? Well, one of the things that God did in Lorena's heart was he gave her this incredible compassion for both the perpetrators as well as the members of, of her son's gang. Every year she goes to the cemetery the day that he was killed and she puts out a spread. It's the custom of the gang kids uh, to celebrate, to remember, to honor their fallen uh, comrade uh, by going to the tombstone. They drink and they smoke weed and they tell stories about him. And every year she goes out and she sets out a table and a chair. She takes her Bible. She takes tracts. She takes food and water for the kids. And she shares with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's pretty amazing because these are the young men 
who refuse to say and to speak the truth. But not only that, but as the perpetrators of her son's crime have been to some degree found out, though they cannot be convicted, and I talk to her about what she feels towards these men, and she says, all I want is for them to know Jesus Christ. Would you be able to take that approach to those who can bring justice but choose not to, to those who have taken the one that you love the most, who will also never in this earth find justice? As followers of Jesus, we have the honor and the privilege of saying, I don't know that I would, but I sure would like to be that person. How can we be that kind of a person? We live in a conflict-ridden world. There are wars, there is injustice, there is hatred, there is on a national level, on a community level, on a family level, on a personal level, there is conflict. Conflict breeds more conflict. And oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that the people who can resolve conflict are those people who run around saying, let's have peace, let's have peace. Everybody, let's just settle down. Let's just have a, a ceasefire. You know, that's the answer, ceasefire. Well, what's the difference between a real peacemaker and somebody who just appeases? Well, let's go to that great fountain of truth, Wikipedia, to hear what appeasement is all about. In an international context, it's a diplomatic policy of making political material or territorial concessions to an aggressive power to avoid conflict. To avoid conflict. Underline that. Truth in those words. To avoid conflict, not to resolve it. The difference between somebody who appeases and somebody who is a peacemaker is that the peacemaker does not seek to avoid conflict or to appease a situation. That person seeks to resolve the conflict. And the example par excellence of appeasement flows out of, in terms of a geopolitical philosophy, flows out of what Britain tried to do with Hitler. Do you remember that story from your high school history, right? Hoping against hope that somehow by giving concessions here, concessions there, that would appease the bloodthirst that Hitler had. And we all know how that worked out for Britain, for Europe, and for the entire world. Scripture tells us he is our peace, and his name is Jesus. And the reason why Jesus is our peace, the reason why Jesus is our peacemaker par excellence is because he came once and for all to resolve the conflict. The conflict that existed between us and God the conflict that has existed from Adam and Eve 
between men and men. And Ephesians 2 gives us several ways in which we can enter into that peacemaking role. Have you ever thought about what is it that, um, why people don't have peace and why people can't be peacemakers? The fundamental reason is that people are not themselves at peace. They are particularly not at peace between themselves and God. And so any attempts to resolve peace comes from a point of grief or anger or hurt or trauma. You cannot resolve conflict when there is peace in your own soul. It's convoluted at best, any attempt. It cannot be done. So just think for a second. The last time somebody offended you, okay? Think of the person, think of the circumstance, right? What were you feeling as that person offended you? What might you be feeling at this moment? Just to remember that, right? Anger, frustration. If it was another believer, profound disappointment. And what, what happened? Did you think immediately about making peace with that person? Was that your immediate reaction? I've just been offended. Okay, I'm going to resolve and make peace. No, you were hurt. You were, you were feeling bad things. You might have known, I'm supposed to forgive, I'm supposed to have, make peace, but right now I can't. I need to go off and have some conversations with God. I need to go back and read scripture. I need to think about this. I need to prepare my heart. I need to do all sorts of things, right? So that my heart, when I go to talk to that person and say, hey, remember when you said something like this or when you did this? I was offended. I was hurt. I was disappointed. Are you aware of that? You need a time to prepare because in anger, in pain, in grief, in, in a state of not seeking peace, resolution is impossible. Jesus Christ is our peace because he is the ultimate peacemaker. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Um, twice in verse 11, and 12, he calls the Ephesian church to remember something. Remember that you, remember that you. So the first step is us remembering that we have experienced the exact same thing. We, at one point, were separated from God. We, at one point, were alienated from God. We, at one point, were not in Christ. Why? Why did that conflict exist? Because of our sin, right? We were at war with God because we had offended him. So we 
uh, I, I was, uh, when we were in Venezuela as missionaries, um, there was a lot of conflict on the field when we got there. So much conflict that the executive director of the mission had to come down and, and speak to us as missionaries. And he sat down with us, of us as a couple, and, and uh, he said, you know, can I ask you a question? What do you think the main problem here is with this conflict? And so we were new missionaries. We didn't know anything, so we couldn't say very much. But I listed some things that I had seen, and, you know, this happened, and this person said this, and this happened. And he listened to me, and he said, you know, Omar, the primary problem here is you. I was like, me? It's like... What have I done? I mean, I, I don't even, I'm new. Until we realize that we, we need to remember that we are part of the problem. We were the problem before we were in Christ. It wasn't us that went to God first, right? Oh, wait. <laughs> I know I've offended God by, by lying, by not honoring his name, by, by, by blaspheming, by so many sins, right? And now I'm going to go off and, 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 and say to God, forgive me. No. Before we loved him, Scripture says, he loved us. He took the first step. He gave his son for us. It wasn't we. We were not made one in Christ, because we did anything to solve the conflict between us and God. God came to us. It was Jesus who broke down the walls that divided. It was Jesus who shed his blood for us. I understand that every Sunday you guys celebrate communion and remember that event, right? It was his body that was broken for us. He did the work. He took the guilt. He is our justice. He, he, he is our peace. And only he is our peace. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all that God required. He did it, Scripture tells us, so that he might create in himself one new man. This is that reality here, right? That new man is the church, his body. We are the result of Jesus' work on our behalf. He made us one with him. He made both groups, verse 14, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contains in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So the reason why we are together here this morning 
It's not because we did anything for each other. It is that once again, Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, brought us together. One of the uh, struggles that we had in our church plant was that we were trying to do a bilingual church plant, Spanish and English. In Fullerton, there has been, uh, for many, many decades, a struggle between South Fullerton and North Fullerton, right? South Fullerton is literally on the other side of the tracks. The railroad tracks are just a block from where our church was. Back in the history of the U.S., as you remember, there has been this racial issue. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Well, part of our our, uh, racial issue as Hispanics is the whole busing thing. So man has been trying to fix this racial thing by all sorts of manly, ingenious ways. So the bright idea back in the 70s and 80s was to bus the kids from South Fullerton to North Fullerton and from North Fullerton to South Fullerton. How do you think that worked out? It didn't, right? And ever since then, there has been the south side and the north side, so much so that people from the south to go to the north side is like hardly ever happens. One of the things that we discovered as we moved into the neighborhood is that our people who lived in that area had never ventured to like the Brea Mall, which is like, two or three miles away from where our church was at? Because it's like that side. And and when people from uh, our church were thinking about coming down to Fullerton, one of the things, boy, that's a violent place down there, isn't it? That that people down there, they're they're illegal, right? And and there's poor people and and their schools are a mess, right? It's like, no, we want our kids to go to, it's like, right? So my mom passed away recently and one of the neat things about it was you have those last conversations with your mom and a few months before she passed away I had read something about um, during the depression um, the state of California and the federal government had decided that there was too many people who were unemployed so people who were up here from Mexico who were residents or or had work permits here rather they had work permits had to be deported back to Mexico because there was jobs that needed to be created. So I had heard all my life that um, my mom, when she was little, with her family had gone back to Mexico. But I had never known why. So I said, Mom, I was reading this crazy thing that happened in L.A. where da-da-da, she said, oh, yeah. yeah. I said, we're, did we go back because we wanted to, the family, or because they were made to go back. And she said, oh, no, we were made to go back. I said, but, Mom, you were born here. Yeah, I was born in L.A., at White Memorial Hospital. But I was a minor, so they shipped me back with Mom and Dad, too. And on the way back to Mexico, we packed everything in a, in a, in a truck or something. He said, we got robbed, <laughs> and they took everything. So we arrived in this small town in Mexico, was a farming community. My dad didn't know how to farm. He was a truck driver. I said, oh my, mom, that must have been horrible. And then you came back here after that happened? She said, oh yeah, Omar. 
Those were some of the happiest days of my life back in Mexico. I loved living there. I said, well, you never said anything about this story. She said, I didn't think it was important. I said, why? I said, well, you know, when I found Christ, nothing mattered anymore. That was all that mattered. God had used all these experiences in my life, in my childhood, in my youth, coming back here to put me in a place where I was eager to hear some good news. And the moment I stepped into that little Baptist church and I heard the gospel, I was convicted of my sin and I gave my life to Christ and everything was made new again. God had settled in her heart, not just the sins that she had committed against him, but also, and this is the part we often forget, the sins that anybody else had committed against her. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for our sins. Jesus Christ also died for the sins that were committed against us. Think about that for a second. He did not do a partial work on the cross. He was not just concerned with my sins upon the cross. He was concerned with every sin that had ever been committed. And we often think and believe, well, that's just the sins that people committed against God. Yes, but also every sin that has ever been committed was crucified upon that cross. The world seeks justice that cannot be found in any imaginable way by humankind. And God is screaming at the top of his lungs, I already paid the price. Every sin that has been committed by you was hung on that cross. But consider this, every sin that has been committed against you was also hung on that cross. You want justice? Justice has been served. It has been served in full. One of the first things we hear on the news when some crime is committed is, I want closure by the victim, right? I want closure. I want justice. I want the perpetrator to pay. Human justice is served. Is closure given? Is justice fully served? No, you cannot take, and you cannot give what is gone forever. That is the beauty of forgiveness. The person who is asking you to forgive them has no way, no capacity to restore that which he took from you. None. They're literally impotent. Jesus 
the all-powerful one, has paid that price. What is it for us to do moving forward? I think it's for us to follow the example of Jesus in verse 17. And he came and he preached. We as people who have found peace in Christ are called to be peacemakers. The only way for us to be real peacemakers is to go. Is that we be those who come to people who are in conflict with themselves, with others, with God, that we are to go, that we are to insert ourselves as peacemakers in that situation. One of the things that we find out as ministers of the gospel when we have people in need is the thing that means the most to them is that we show up, <laughs> that we feel their pain, that we grieve with them, that we walk through that moment with them. The ministry of presence and peacemaking means that we go to the place, to the people who are in conflict, and we move, sorry, to resolve that conflict. And the question is how? How do we do that? Well, what did Jesus do? He went and he preached. Oh, please, are you kidding me? That's gonna solve something? That's gonna fix the, the problem, the conflict? That that's God's great plan? A million times, yes. Because we're going into a space where we know there is sin and sin abounds and we are taking to those people the one who can bring true peace. In a few moments we will be taking communion. And one of the beauties of being in a small church and, and being in a church plant is that everything's starting up, and since everything's starting up, nothing's established, so everybody can give their ideas about what should be. And you know what the beauty of that is? It creates conflict. Because it's like, nah, I don't think that's the way to go, Pastor David. No, 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 brother, no, 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 let's do it this way. And before you know it, somebody says something a little bit sharp and does something a little bit passive-aggressive and does something it's like, no, nah, I'm going to, I know what he said, but I'm going to do this. It's beautiful, right? There's conflict. And you know what conflict causes? An opportunity to practice being a peacemaker. You know, if we can't figure out peacemaking within the body, please don't try to do it out there. It's a pretty pointless exercise because you know what people are going to say? You know, you Christians, you guys really stink at making peace. There's a gazillion different denominations. Every time we hear of, a, you know, it's like they're, you guys are fighting among themselves. It is a beautiful opportunity to say and to practice and to insert ourselves into conflict and say, hey, 
brother, you offended me. And you know the beauty of it's going to be that on occasions, the other person's going to say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, wow. It was nothing. Don't worry about it. But you know what? There's going to be, I don't know if that happens amongst you guys. Maybe you guys have reached the level of sainthood in the last couple months that no other church plant has reached. But there's going to be occasions, just warning you, where somebody's going to say, huh? Really? Come on, man. Really? You're going to let that little thing bother you? Oh, come on. I didn't mean to do that. Right? And guess what that presents? The opportunity to walk through a process of peacemaking. And the beauty of, you guys get to do it every week. Right? Because it's like, in a moment, I'll be praying. It's like, God, if there's anybody in this room, including myself, who's had some conflict, please prepare their hearts, because in a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. The ultimate expression of remembering what Christ did for us and for the person who's offended me. My sins have been forgiven. I love that part. All sins have been forgiven, even those committed against me. I'm not so sure about that one, especially right now, because just a few rows back, I got sister so-and-so who's just got a real issue, you know. It's a beautiful opportunity for you to settle those kinds of things in your heart before taking communion, and then after service, go to that brother or sister, say, hey, bro, hey, sis, can I have a word with you? Can we talk about what's happened here? Because you know and I know that eh, something's a little bit off. As husbands and wives, we learn that, right? There's a, there's a feel. There's a tension. There's a, oh, I don't really want to touch certain subjects. Christ calls us to remember. He is our peace because he has fulfilled all of the law, all that God required. And he has come to us and said, I love you. I bled for you. I died for you. I forgive you. Forgive others. You be that peacemaker. Don't be the one who's appeasing. Be the true peacemaker. Because Jesus, and that's who we follow, that's who he is. So let's pray. Our Father, we come before you great gratitude and great humility because truly we are the problem we were the problem we were guilty 
And before we even knew it, or cared, or wanted to make peace with you, you sent your son to die for our sins. You crucified our sins upon that cross. And then came back to life so that we might experience a new life in him. And it's now because of him that we come before you, not just with gratitude, but also with a heart desiring to be Christ's ambassadors for peace in this very fallen and broken world. And we want to come before you and put the struggles that we have, the pains that we have, the grief that we have, the lack of closure that we have. And we want to recognize, first of all, that all justice is found in Christ and in Him alone. And so we want to turn that over to you and say, Father, I acknowledge that for that sin that was committed against me, Jesus Christ also died. No longer hold that against the individual or individuals who sinned against me. Rather, I want you to work in their life so that they might find what I have found in you. Peace with God and peace with those who are around them. Brothers and sisters, I invite you as you prepare your hearts to come and take communion to be faithful to your Lord Jesus Christ to be a peacemaker this day and throughout this week. For I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.